So anyway, to the final guest of our final salon of the year, Clearboarding appeared um, in the same year as Chris um, during the frenzy of the Olympics, and she delighted us with tales of her horsey upbringing um, in My Animals and Other Family, which is a brilliant memoir. Tonight, we are talking walking, as she reads from Walking Home, My Family and Other Rambles. Please welcome the only lesbian approved by the National Trust, the BBC, and Lakeland Plastics, Clearboarding! tonight, which makes me feel a bit of a fraud. And my friend Julian, who's sitting down on the floor there, who I've only just met tonight, said, are you going to be any good? I said, no, I thought I'd get up and be really shit, actually. <laughs> because that least would be funny and more memorable than being mediocre. So my challenge now is to not be mediocre. Um, so, yeah. I, I Welcome back. Thanks. It's very nice to see you. Everyone's been touching him because of his velvet jacket. Not just because of the velvet. Mm. It's just because of the velvet. I'm, I'm very, very, very thrilled to be here again. Or not here, because we were in Shoreditch before, but to be in a gathering of people who read so widely and are so clever and genuinely appreciate um, the art and the sweat and everything else that goes into producing a book, which I just casually kind of wrote, um, My Animals and Other Family, sent it out there, not, not realising how difficult it is. Um, and that was surprisingly well received. So then you have the horrible second book thing. And I had a lot of subjects. Actually, one of the thoughts was just to write about 2012, just the whole year of yeah. 2012, starting with the um, Trenton Oldfield who threw himself in the river in the middle of the boat race and handling that when you're presenting it, then doing the river pageant and then obviously the London Olympics um, and Paralympics as well. Uh, and then I thought, well, actually, what's the thing that I've loved most of all, of all, of all the, the work, um, <laughs> all the work that I do? Um, what's the thing that I love? And, and actually, the... the the one programme that punctuates everything I do and that I've done for 15 years is a programme called Ramblings on Radio 4, uh, which is a programme about walking. And what I love about that is, is when you go to America, and I do because I have family in America, and you say, oh, what, what do you do? Blah, blah, blah. I do this, that, and the other one. I do a walking programme on the radio. <laughs> you do a walking programme on the radio? Yes. <laughs> what do you do? We walk. <laughs> and, and we talk. But because it was very successful in the first book to completely rip apart my family, um, and, and in particular, my brother. I thought we can't miss that. So the sort of theme of the book or the central um, uh, story of the book is, is my brother and I and then my mother and Alice, my partner, and I trying to do the Wayfarer's Walk, which is the long-distance walk that goes across the top of the Downs where the aforementioned Mill Reef, um, the great racehorse that my father trained, um, on the gallops where he broke his leg, which if you haven't read the first book, you really should because it's very, very dramatic. Um, <laughs> Um, it's the Wayfarer's Walk runs across the top of the Downs. So my brother and I, my, my brother manages to give me a day of his time. He's very, very busy. Uh, and this is the section where we're just getting back towards home. Tiny, tiny bit of this because, because it just gives you favour. And also just to say, somebody on Twitter who bought an early copy, well, actually, the copies still look the same, said to me, do you realise the typeface changes? And you've got all these dots through some chapters. Yes, I do, because that's on purpose, because the Wayfarer's Walk chapters are in a different font. Anyway, for all font nerds out there. Um, the trouble with the route my brother had chosen for our final section is that not only is it not shorter than taking the actual footpath, it's also unbearably steep. Unbearable if your toes have been pressed up against the end of your shoes from, for longer than is comfortable, or you fear you may have shin splints. I potter as best as I can down the slope and think about doing it backwards because it'll hurt less, but then decide against it because I will inevitably fall over and break my neck. Then my brother will come back in a few years and pee on the spot where it happened. <laughs> this because 
when we were coming through the section that comes onto the side of the dance, I had said to my brother, this is where my father broke his neck, which he did, and he broke a, a bone called the hangman's bone, which is the, the um, C2. And he'd gone into A&E at Basingstoke Hospital, and the doctor, you know... It, by the way, my, our best friend when we were growing up, my parents' best friend was the head of A&E at Basingstoke Hospital. That's how often we were there. Um, he'd said to the doctor, I suppose I'm lucky not to be paralysed, and the doctor said, no, you're lucky not to be dead. I mean, it is the bone that kills you. And he hadn't died, obviously, because he's still with us, um, but he had broken his neck and then spent the next few months in a, in a you know, brace, um, behaving very badly and swearing a lot. And my mother had to deal with this. And as we came over the fence onto that side of the, of the dance, I had said, you know, I'd remembered him lying there in agony um, and thought about his horse farting and trotting off home and dad not knowing whether he was going to be rescued or not. And, and I was sort of just having a moment to think about this and, and thank the land for not killing him. And I turned to my brother, um, who had his back to me, and he was facing the hedge. <laughs> and I said, are you giving thanks? And he said, no, I'm having a pee. <laughs> which is why I imagine that he will pee on the spot where I fall down. And walking, <laughs> walking backwards, I'm digressing now from reading. I will get back to reading a different section in a minute. But walking backwards uh, is something that I, I just I do out of habit, and I did it again this morning. It's terribly embarrassing, and actually I got caught the other day. Alice and I were doing a circuit that we like from Hammersmith Bridge up to Barnes Railway Bridge, and I was walking backwards, which is fine if Archie's behind us, the, our dog, because it looks like I'm just checking that he's not having a poo, you know. But it's not fine if Annika Rice is then walking the other way. <laughs> Genuinely, Annika Rice, because she lives in Barnes, and she was walking down to the River Cafe. Um, and she said, what, Balding, what are you doing? You're walking backwards, aren't you? I said, no, 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 I'm just checking out. She said, you're bloody walking backwards, you weird thing. <laughs> and I told her that I'd seen all these people in China, and I was out over there filming um, um, for, a, for a BBC documentary. And suddenly at four in the morning, when we left the hotel to go and film with pandas, who were gorgeous, but there were all these people walking backwards up the hill, and the Chinese believe it's a way of um, slightly... I think it's part turning back the clock, but also it's very good for you mentally and physically, so I now randomly walk backwards. And try not to be caught by Annika Rice. Anyway, 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 I'm going to leave that section because I've sort of told you all the best bits of it. <laughs> the, the, the bit that I think you will enjoy most of all because, because you read and I read and um, I'm sure many of you, like I um, will be, uh, am, will be devotees of, of David Sedaris um, and his writing. And actually, when I was writing My Animals and Other Family, I read a lot of David Sedaris to try and find a voice that was warped without being bitter. Mm. Because... I think that is the key to writing about your family. You have to understand their madness was your reality and not be bitter about it. Um, but I have actually walked with David Steris and he has a thing for litter. Um, and he obsessively picks up litter and he walks every, every day picking up litter. And he lives in West Sussex. And he lives in West Sussex, exactly. Um, and Alice, by the way, had had a, a, um, a bit of a thing where she'd thrown somebody's bottle back into a car uh, in, in a fit of litter rage and had made the Daily Mail, as one does, when you're a lesbian all the time. Um, <laughs> for better or worse. Mostly in our case these days, for, for better. Anyway. Did you know that slugs love beer? Nor did I until I picked up bottle after bottle containing drunken slugs wallowing in the remainders of pale ale. They stank a really rancid stench. One bottle was sealed. I delicately opened it to smell the contents. I think it's wine, I said. A whole bottle of wine. Or maybe it's elderflower, I can't tell. David was laughing. I wouldn't sip that if I were you, he said. 
I found plenty of bottles of urine along here. I dropped the bottle in disgust, wishing I'd worn gloves. I poured it out and put the empty bottle in the bag that was resting on its hoop on my hip. We were now onto our third bags. It was ridiculous. Here we were in one of the prettiest villages in England, and I felt that it was ruined. The beauty of the cottages and the lanes was a sham, because under the surface was evil waste, deliberately chucked by people with no sense of responsibility or concern. I'm a solutions kind of a person. I read some self-help book once that told me to look at the solution, not the problem. So I'm always looking for the magic answer. I know, I said in one of my eureka moments. We need to make it fun to dispose of litter. What about a drive-through dump? You don't have to get out of the car. You just throw your litter into skips and score points. If you get a certain number of points, you win. This is me, a sports solution to everything. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. Recycling centres always have long queues at weekends. This way, it wouldn't waste your time or involve stepping out of the car, and you could win a prize. It was one of my best ideas ever, even better than the Mobot, which I invented, thank you. Mm. Or, I know, I know. My brother, my brother says anything I'm worth claiming for, anyway. Um, or making every business conduct at least one meeting a day while walking. I think that's a good idea too. Or having a dog sitting on my lap when I present crafts. Which is always a winner, by the way. Can't go wrong, no. Karen, who's, who's the producer that was, is with me on this programme. Karen, Alice and David weren't so sure. They pointed out that it would mean a series of ugly skips by the side of the road. And that it rewarded people for doing what they should do naturally. Getting rid of their rubbish. A car came towards us rather fast and slowed down. Its driver, no doubt curious about the three people with bin liners. I stared at her. We're used to calling people who don't dispose of their rubbish carefully little outs, which could give a false impression that they are slovenly youths. This was a middle-aged woman with mousy brown shoulder-length hair, both hands on the steering wheel and a look of panic on her face. I tried to do a Sherlock-style deduction. Could she be an offender? <laughs> My instincts were that she wasn't, but I knew Benedict Cumberbatch would examine her more closely, work out her daily routine and probably consider her a suspect. The trouble is, said David, who has far more experience in this field than me, you just don't know. She could be a chucker, but I've never actually seen anyone do it. I sometimes think I should hide here in the hedgerow and wait until I see someone throwing something. Then I could pursue them and arrest them. I found the day rather fascinating, but also terribly sad. So I cheered myself up by thinking about all the exercise we were taking, constantly bending down and up again, a form of standing sit-ups. I came up with a slogan for a fitness campaign. Get fitter with litter. Oh, my second brilliant idea of the day. This was good for my brain as well as my abdominal muscles. Looking at the positives, we were also halfway towards building a car. We'd found a hubcap, a rear view mirror and a number plate. I was sure there would be a tire or two if we looked hard enough. Perhaps we'd find one before we headed back to the house to sample Hugh's pie, because David's partner Hugh was cooking his lunch. <laughs> when we got to the top of the hill, I dragged David into the driveway of a house. A footpath goes across the fields there, and it had a beautiful vantage point across to the South Downs, beyond which I knew you could see the channel. It was what they call the quintessential British vista. And yes, you got rolling uplands, fertile river plain, hedgerows dividing fields into envelope-sized rectangles a grey church spire, and villages that you knew had at least two pubs, a post office, a duck pond, and a village green where cricket is played in the summer. They would have cherry trees heaving with blossom, wisteria dangling from cottage windows, a thatched roof or two, 
box hedges and rose gardens, red brick walls and wooden benches, oak trees and copper beach. I imagine tea shops full of retired couples, children playing poo sticks on a stone bridge, polo fields in the distance, and the mustard window frames and doors of the Cowdery estate. I asked David what he could see. To tell you the truth, he said, staring into the distance with a look of a crusader aching for a foreign war. I see all the rubbish that we're not seeing right now. <laughs> what, from here to Bognor Regis, you look at that view and all you can see is hidden rubbish? I was amazed that his enjoyment of the countryside could be so ruined by having spent so much time clearing it up. Yep. I feel that people are looking too much at the long view and they say, oh, it's so beautiful. They're not looking down at the ground, which is covered with rubbish, so they don't see the problem. It's amazing that David even wants to live in the English countryside now that he knows the ugly truth. It would be like finding out that the love of your life was having an affair, soul-destroying. Yet he soldiers on, trying to plaster the wound by picking up all the rubbish he can find, tying it into black bags and taking them to the dump. By the end of our short walk, we'd amassed ten bin liners full of rubbish. Alice had four to my three. You might think this wasn't a victory to celebrate or that she wouldn't be in any way triumphalist. You'd be wrong. <laughs> it was exhausting, not because of the physical exercise, but because of the concentration. At one point, David disappeared up the bank into the hedge. He'd caught a glimpse of a can reflecting in the sunshine and was determined to dig it out. I asked him if there was one thing that he would really, really like to find. Yes, he said with certainty. He'd thought about this before. A dead body. <laughs> and that is true, that's what he said. Do you want me to see the next one as well? Okay. I've never actually read that chapter in, in public. Um, but in I the thought David it, voice. It the was, David voice oh, well, is well, good. Um, I, ha the, well, I thought just the flavour of him. Um, my accents are terrible, but I throw myself into them. And <laughs> consequently, the audiobook, which actually has been nominated for the Audiobook Award at the National Book Awards, I know, won't win. But anyway, it's been nominated. It's lovely. I'll enjoy this moment now. Uh, I do a lot of accents through the book, and I sing... Oh, as well. Yeah. <laughs> the most important chapter, though, and obviously there's, I hope there's a lot in here that's fun. I hope there's a lot in here that will make you want to walk because the biggest compliment I can have if people finish reading the book or even halfway through it, they want to go for a walk. Normally an author would say, please don't do that while you're reading my book. I say, yes, go, go. Um, I hope that it will make people... I, don't, I mean, I, I, I finished it. You don't it. walk. No, I... You do you, now? You are wrong. Ooh, I do. Damien, do. finished it this summer. And, um, and we were thinking about what I might do for yeah. my birthday. And we, we live in Brighton and we said, there's a, a, a white, a white mm. well, it's not that, yeah. it's a white dot that you can see out on the, the South Downs. And it's the Chattery Monument, mm -hmm. which is the monument to the Indian soldiers who were housed in the pavilion because they thought that would make them feel more comfortable. Um, and during the Second World <laughs> War, um, and, they, and the Indian soldiers who died were burnt out on the South Downs at the Chattery Monument which is this beautiful white marble temple. And I'd looked at it for 10 years and never actually gone there. And so this summer, after reading your book, oh. we charted a path to the Chachi Monument and we, and it's, you know, how far was it? Wasn't that, it was about, about 15 miles. Um, and 15, we, It was five. possibly only five. Um, five. But we, but we, okay. but, and the, we also got to the end of it and we arranged to have an Indian takeaway. Um, <laughs> We felt no guilt whatsoever about making the man Do deliver it. Do you know <laughs> because that, um, the entire South Downs 
delicious. There are walking, there are walking book clubs. Do you know that? No, I know about the yes. walking book clubs, but I think it's a good idea because you can't yes. see the person who's talking about exactly. it. Exactly. So you know, all the the judgment is kind yeah. of taken out of it. You but could yes, lead. I do walk. Could, yes. These thighs, Claire I know. Well, yes. Come on. Okay, Your next. Thighs are lovely. So you look too trim. That's why. Um, the most important chapter, though, I think, probably the most important um, thing I've ever written, is a chapter called The Walking Cure, which is about the mental health benefits of walking. And I have walked with a number of groups um, that have been established to help people who are feeling isolated or depressed or lonely. Um, but also, the, this group that I joined had been established to help people with early-onset dementia and Alzheimer's. And, and it was called Forget Me Not. And it was run by a woman called Linda Hughes, and it was near Swindon. Um, and I just thought she was rather magnificent, and, and the whole thing to me was... Um, anyway, right, so it's called The Walking Cure. We headed off down a track towards a farm about a mile away. Linda didn't lead the walk, nor did any of the other carers. I could see a man I knew who was called Jamie up near the front, along with another called Ian, who was looking at his map. I'd read plenty about Alzheimer's, but had never had the chance to talk to anyone at length about living with it. For some, it's a case of forgetting names or how to get home. For others, it can, can affect coordination. One lady was less mobile than the rest. When it came to styles, she couldn't always feel where her feet were or signal to her legs what to do next. Others gathered round to help, offering a hand or a gentle push from behind. Linda said, one of the effects of any illness is that you're looked after and you lose the ability of being useful to other people. All of us need to feel useful to other people, to feel good about our own existence. In this group, they all help each other out, and it's just beautiful to see. They walk for five or six hours, and they nearly always get lost. But finding their way again is part of the challenge, so Linda doesn't interfere. Being out walking is good for the members of the group, but it also gives their wife or husband a break from constant caring. Ian told me, everyone is very relaxed and I like it that they don't do things for us that we can do for ourselves. In the outside world, he explained, every mistake you make affects your confidence because of the reaction of other people. When you can't park the car properly, it can make you feel that you're messing everything up. Here, he said, you feel a sense of normality. We'd been walking for a couple of hours before we stopped for lunch. Everyone was starving and fell upon the heaps of food, sharing sandwiches, crisps, fruit and cheese as we sat on the side of a hill, looking at the veil of the white horse. I could hear the faint hum of the motorway in the distance, and I had no idea where we were or where we were headed. After lunch, we followed the map as best we could, but we ended up in the middle of a field with no obvious exit. One of the faster members of the group said he would walk to the far corner, to see if there was a stile and a footpath sign. We watched him go and come back again some 15 minutes later. Was there a stile, I said. A stile, he said. I have no idea. The others laughed, and then he said, did I go over there to see if there was a stile? <laughs> oh dear, that was a bad idea. I really can't remember whether there was or not. He didn't panic about not remembering. He just laughed because the others were laughing. It must be frustrating as hell not to be able to remember the most basic of things. But if you let that frustration take over, you're living in a double hell. Linda makes sure that everyone feels that whatever happens, it's just fine. Soon we'd lost another walker, together with her 25-year-old carer. But then we could hear hysterical laughter. I fell in a bush! said Sandy, emerging from the hedgerow. It was brilliant! <laughs> it didn't matter that we were lost. 
because the group felt at home. And by home, I don't mean a house or a village, but a place where everyone can feel safe, loved, and most of all, relevant. So there's some sort of serious stuff in there. There's a lot mm. of serious stuff in there, mm. and um, and I wanted to talk about this idea of, you know, walking walking as a cure, and when that when that became apparent to you, and if it's something that was curative for you as well. Um, no, lovely Tobias, whose whose um, thing I'm using as a bookmark here, came up to me earlier and gave me the Bluffer's Guide to Rambling, um, which I wish I'd had when I started doing the program, because when I was asked in 1999 if I walked by my producer Lucy, who, who the book is part dedicated to. She's Lucy. in there a lot. She's in there a lot. Yes, yes. She's quite grumpy. She's quite grumpy, yeah, but she's funny. Um, she's not mediocre, and that makes her memorable. She's, she's grumpy um, and a terrible driver. Anyway, she asked me uh, in, in 1999, to do, to, did I walk? And of course I said yes, because I walked the dogs growing up and I thought that meant you walked. I didn't realize there were people who walked without dogs. I really didn't. And I didn't, I didn't realize there were people who walked with maps and laminated thingies and, and you know, in plastic things. And with poles, two poles sometimes. Although my mother, who's, who's famously not very generous, um, gave... gave is that spiritually or um, in, in what way? No, literally. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> gave me one walking pole and gave Alice another walking pole. They, oh they don't match, but she thought we could, you know, if we want to. Anyway, there are people obviously who walk with one pole or two poles and people who wear gaiters and proper walking boots and all these things I did not know existed because I just walked the dogs yeah, or walked in a panic or walked because there wasn't a bus. You know? But you didn't grow up walking. I mean, you grew up riding. No. I'm fascinated by the fact that the walk, the wayfarers walk, went mm. by the farm. You saw, you knew that it was mm -hmm. there. You must have seen people. You had absolutely mm. no inclination your entire life to get on it only until, you know, no, you're an adult. No, because I was start. galloping though, wasn't I? I was galloping and jumping things. And this really is about uh, slowing down and what happens when you do slow down and, and how much you take in. And also the conversations you have when you're walking. Because how are I'm they different? Really different, because you're not making constant eye contact, and there isn't that. And I think particularly for families, but in relationships too. But I, I talked to a man the other day who, who had a very, very tricky teenage son, and, and they were having a big problem. I said, well, what did you do? He said, oh, I took him up Snowden. I said, perfect. <laughs> so they talked while they walked up Snowden. I mean, it's quite extreme. But um, I think because you can, you're sharing the same experience, so you're both looking out, and you're seeing same, the same thing, but you're picking out different aspects of it mm. and there are miles when you don't have to talk at all so as a program it's a brilliant way to interview people because we walk for about four hours and um we record for about two and it's a 28 minute program so the best of it is there are there some people who but just people don't talk for a long time when you're doing when you're sometimes doing i don't right yeah because i just get exhausted but <laughs> i i'm amazed at what people will tell me when we're walking I mean, really amazed. Uh, they they will say things they never thought, and they I know they've never told anyone else. And that's why it's lovely. It's a lovely thing to do. But uh, you know, forget the program. It's just a lovely way of examining humankind and exploring the countryside at the same time. But just for my own personal pleasure, you know, I walk every day. I'm really sad. I have a jawbone up now. I count my steps. What's I know. I know I've done six miles today. So I'm, you know, I'm quite. But you never, you didn't always it, have that. That's a rare. No, 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 no. This is part of my obviously getting fitter. Yeah. Getting fitter with litter. Getting. Mm. Oh Jesus. Exactly. That's not going to catch on. It's not going to be a thing. Hey, listen. Nobody thought the mobile would catch on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're fine. Um, <laughs> I, I was, I was fascinated by the uh, the idea of you know striking out on a walk where you know the ending and where you, and mm. where you don't know the ending and the difference between a short term walk, you mm. know, an hour to the car and back, and then this walk, the, like the one mm. that you did St Oswald's walk. Tell us about that because that just, I mean, it sounded gruel. 
Oh, St. Oswald's Way was lovely. Well, actually, the, the long-distance walking only came to me when there were a group of us, including Tracy and Steph, who's here tonight. We were all training for the moonwalk together. I nearly put a chapter in about that, and then I thought it would be disloyal. But I should have done, actually. It would have been funny. So we were e all training. Yeah, uh, we were all training together for the moonwalk, and I realised you, you really can walk 14, 15 miles in a day, and, and it won't, you won't die. Um, you will if you do the moonwalk. But anyway, um, it's... Uh, so I, I went back to Lucy and I said, why don't we do a whole long distance walk for the, for the series? So we walked different sections of it for, for the six programs. So she gave me a choice of various, various counties and I love Northumberland. So I, I chose St. Oswald's Way, which starts on Holy Island and we walked barefoot across the sands. I mean, it's just lovely. And then you come, you go down the coast and obviously you've got all those great castles, Bamber and Dunstanborough, and then you head inland and finish up on a bit of Hadrian's Wall. It was great. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it, but that also gives you a real sense of place and, and history as, uh, while you're doing it. So that, that had great benefits. But I, I just like, I'm just nosy. I like hearing, I like people telling me things. So. I mean, I can understand. So that's the other thing about it. It's, it's not, yes, there is a, there's me going through the middle of it and my brother and my relationship sure. with my family. And Alice is in it quite a lot. Which she obviously is. She, she How does she feel about that? Um, fine. Yeah. <laughs> no. um, she, uh, because she, when you do the first memoir, people don't know, and yes. then when you do the second one, they do know what's going to yes. happen. So um, you must have chatted about it. Yeah, oh God, I'm not soppy about her at all. Actually, I'm quite rude about her, and she said that's that, yeah. She, she's very funny. She gets some very good lines. She does. That's what lines. I kept telling her. She gets good <laughs> lines. Yeah, um, and and no, I, I mean I think it's it's. I quite like the fact that I, I can write about Alice and I talk about Alice a lot, and I just do it as a statement of fact. So it's just that that's, you know, and that I think... That is what it is. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and therefore, that even, you know, as I mentioned in the Daily Mail, even, even them, even they are relatively, you know, they have to be accepting because I won't have it any other way, so... Well, Jan Moyer did write nice things about you in the, in the Daily Mail. She said that she, you, she, well, she says you were a national treasure. Oh, yeah, that's that really boring. You know. that's just but, but, she, but she was very positive about you, which was quite mm. pleasing. Quite surprising. And surprising, mm. yes. Um, the last time you were at a salon um, was, during the, was during the Olympics, and we talked about the closetedness um, of sports people generally. Um, and I mean, we had some fun with it, but we did also talk seriously without creating any legal situations. Mm -hmm. um, but we were talking really about Tom Daly, weren't we? And Ian Thorpe. Uh, and actually, I, there we go. Yeah, hey, yeah, hooray, yeah. Hooray. Um, But you know, what, what, what is it that you think that's changed in our culture? Since um, because when we talked about it, it seemed mm. almost impossible that these sports people would start to come out. You know, there's so much at risk. And yet well, they men, have done. Men, 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 men. Yeah, yeah. Men, I mean, it's yes. interesting having gone to the women's football on Sunday. Um, you know, women's sport is an incredibly accepting place. Um, so women are much lesbians. more out with each other. And yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. And and because we've traditionally got much less attention, I think they're more relaxed about it as well. But I, I, I sort of I go through phases of of being very you know trying it's to be. It's not just a phase. Trying. <laughs> <laughs> I go through go on, phases <laughs> of being very understanding of people who don't want to come out and then being quite annoyed by it because yeah. it just is so boring. Just get on with it. Why Why? Why would you have any more problem than anyone else? But then I can understand certain situations where it's really tricky. So Vicky Beeching, who's mm. a theologian, who, who I know quite well, came to see uh, me and Alice in our kitchen to talk to us about... I, I, I what, was, before she came out? Yeah. yeah. Jesus, oh, I'll tell you what, my gaydar didn't work at all because I... I, I no, we'd been walking together in Canterbury on just for Easter, and and I'd walked There's up a the top. Away. Of the, you know, no, what? <laughs> um, and and I'd been showing her photos of this musician that I'd been interviewing, this bloke who I said, oh, he's really good looking. He'd do for you. 
And she gave me a funny look. And I thought, oh, I don't know. why is she looking at me? Like, I don't know. Anyway, then, then, so she came and had a chat with us. And Alice is really good, really good in situations like that. And, you know, very good with her advice. But, you know, very tricky. She's an evangelical Christian yeah. without a partner and has never had a partner. Mm. And it's that, the lack of support from, from her own network that I, w- I was worried about. And yeah. not having somebody own. to go home and, and, you know, or go out with or anything. So, anyway, she's fine. She's cool. And she's having a brilliant, brilliant... You know, she's just so... Um, she she is having a, a really big impact, and and she is. yeah, and and I think it's has taken. You know, you don't have to all have a bloody responsibility with it. You know, some some it would be just nice to just be gay and have fun. <laughs> but, but, but what is it but that you think has changed in that time? Because um, it is it, it has it definitely has changed. I think Tom Daly's changed a lot because the way he did it. Uh, which I thought was great and and not c- commercialized at all. Just very, it didn't well, seem. Well, on his YouTube video. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, obviously yeah. on his YouTube channel, but you know, um, but not there wasn't any. It wasn't a big branded exercise, no. and then has kind of just cracked on and 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 in interviews doesn't, you, you know, I I, th- I think he he's you know if he's he's I mean Sam Patronizing now he's an old and he's only young, but he's he's really for for somebody who is as well known as he has been since he was 15, to deal with, and his father's died in recent years, you know, that, that's a lot to take mm. on. And I think he's been great. And I think the positive reaction to him will convince a lot of other people, and certainly anyone younger than him. Why would you ever hide it? Why mm. would you ever pretend you were anything else? You know, obviously, you've got to, it, it, this is his first relationship. It wasn't a case of him hiding anything. You're just thinking. Uh, one of the things I thought was very interesting about what you said then was that you felt like you and your own life had mm. spent a lot of energy. You'd expended, wasted energy, actually, um, not being who you were or, mm. you know, just not embracing yourself. And you felt that if sports people were doing that, they weren't performing. At yeah, their, at and their this best. is, I've discussed this with Clive Woodward, who's very, um, obviously, um, v- very technical about the way he coaches teams. And, and when he was coaching England to win the Rugby World Cup, he did eye weight training with them. I mean, that's how detailed he is. And I was talking to him about it. So, what hit, does that mean, eye weight? Uh, like the, the, you, essentially, you the exercising eyes? their eyes to, to make sure that the muscles were strong enough that at the end of. God. Yeah, I know, I know. You know, in the last five minutes of the game, you'd still see everything you should see. Um, but I s- was talking to him about it, and I said, here's my theory. If you are an athlete and you are frightened of anything, actually, but if you're frightened of being outed um, because you haven't told your parents, you haven't told your friends, or you're worried about the media reaction, you are not going to break a world record. How could you? It's why Ian Thorpe actually is such a phenomenon mm. for achieving, but he did a lot of that very young, and he retired very young. He retired at, like, 23. Yeah. Who knows what Ian Thorpe could have done? And I don't know, because I haven't had a conversation with him since then, but obviously I know him quite well, and I will talk to him about it one day. I don't know how much his decision to retire was because of fear. I Mm. don't know. But it has to affect your performance. I'm sure it does. I think it's the same in any performing performing art. You write a lot about um, what you learn about the people you walk with, Mm. the groups and the individuals you walk with, but what is it that you learn about yourself after all those years of walking with with all different kinds of people? What is it that, you know, the real Um, central truth for you? Probably that I need that thinking time. So so I will walk every day. I mean, I walk a lot, but I walk every day for my own mental health and that, you know, having learned a fair bit about it through through the groups I've walked with, but also just knowing myself a bit better that I need that. And there is a, it would be very easy in the world that I live in to go a little bit, um, to overreact to things, to over-dramatize your own life. And I think it's not just the world I live in, I think we can all do it. Mm. You can over-dramatize things. Well, if you walk for an hour, 
or longer. An hour without Twitter, an hour without yeah. your phone, an hour yeah. just with you in the door. Yeah, I mean, like if so, yeah, I mean, my phone is with me, but I'm not looking at it really. And if it, if and I quite often miss calls, even if somebody does ring. But generally speaking, without interruption, and and I'll leave it behind. It's amazing how much you can sort out. I mean, you can over, you can overdo it too. I mean, just I've over, I've I have a lot of conversations with myself in different voices, actually, <laughs> very good accents. Um, and yeah, I do that. I I'll have I'll play the whole thing out. Oh God, and brilliant for for creative thinking, obviously. Brilliant. For this, obviously. No, but great for writing fiction. I mean, great for creating or, or screenplays or whatever else. Whatever else might come to me. Whatever else might come, whatever else might happen. Tell us about that creating fiction. Because at the end, you say no for the next challenge, and, and you don't yeah, say what I write that challenge and, is. And I write a lot in the, at the end of this about taking risks and continuing to take risks and not sitting in your comfort zone, Main, mainly because of books I've read and people I've interviewed. <laughs> I hadn't, you know, I'd always, obviously, we all think push yourself out of your comfort zone, it, you can only improve if you do. But what I hadn't realised until I read a woman called um, Roz Savage who, who decided to give up her job, give up her partner, give up her fancy um, sports car and row across the Atlantic and then row the Pacific and then row the Indian Ocean because, like, you would. She writes about taking risks and she said, the thing with your comfort zone is if you stay in it, it's not just a case of you won't improve if you go out it. It starts to suffocate you. It becomes like cling film around you. And I'd never thought of that until I read her. So in a sense, the decisions that I make in the next, um, well, have made, but but will happen in the next sort of five, six months are all about that, are all what about are pushing out. Well, I really, 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 really want to write um, a drama series. Um, really? Mm, so that's... For the radio, that's for the telly? For the telly. Well, originally it was a film idea, but I think it works better as a series. But yeah, and, um, and it would be, yeah. Set in a world that you Set know. in the 1920s, actually. 1920s. And, and about women's football. Oh. Very, there's very, very, <gasps> very good story. There's very good stories there. <laughs> yes. Apparently there are very good stories there, there. I think we will take a couple of questions now. That is very enticing revelation. Sylvia, of course. Hello. Hello, Sylvia. Um, <laughs> debate raged Would you try the <coughs> caramel salted cheese from Waitrose? It was a very quick question. Would you like to try the Waitrose salted caramel cheese? <laughs> I think we've reached some kind of peak. I don't know about that. I feel in my head. Would, I like would you salted caramel fudge. Yeah. But I don't. I think the addition of cheese might be a bit much for Too me. much. Okay. Too much. That's fine. Yes. Rowan Perling. Oh God. A question about semantics from the sublime to the ridiculous or the other way around. Not shocked, just, just amused. Yeah, but, but isn't there a real difference? Because they talk about hiking. Yes. Yeah. So like yes. Said, like, would you like to go hiking? Like, I haven't bought hiking. Yeah, I haven't bought sort of, you know. No, it's, it's, it's a very good difference, yeah. actually. And yeah. it's one I've heard of. When you're in America and you go walking, they say yeah. you're going for a hike. Whereas when you're here, you're yeah. hiking is about vertical and stuff. Actually, so, the, know, there's the a other cultural thing, difference. Yeah, and the other thing that brings up is um, I, I, when I was talking about what, you know, because obviously... Um, it, the second book thing is, you know, what you can do, what you can do. We want more of your family. We want more of your family. 
And I said, I want to write about walking. Oh, no, I don't think that'll work. And I said, well, it works for Bill Bryson. Yeah. And, and I then reread Notes and from Thomas Small Hardy, Island. Thomas Hardy, in a way. Yes, and Thomas Hardy. Uh, but I reread Notes from Small Island. I read Walk in the Woods, which is all about doing the Appalachian Trail. I mean, I think walking in America sounds pretty dire, actually. Um, I mean, Notes from a Small Island is great because he's doing all his walking here, but you either do those great long treks where it's endless miles of the same thing, mm. And you have to carry a lot because there, you know, there's no there's no people in there, um, or or you come and walk in the UK. Um, but he gave me the confidence to to write about walking, and so too did Robert McFarlane, and mm. and he's he's written some fabulous stuff that you know, m m you know, obviously much deeper and heavier than than what I'm trying to do. But um, Bill Bryson kind of gave me that. Yeah, go on, you can do. You could, you know, th this has been done. This is possible, um, and I, you know. People in America won't buy it because they won't understand it, but you're right. <laughs> yeah, walking. Yes, yeah, we, don't, we, yes don't we don't tend to talk about hiking. No, no, we don't. We don't. And actually, even the even the rambling thing, even ram I, I'm a rambler. That sounds so... What is rambling? sounds so knitted. It does. You're right. And a bit damp as well. There's a whole thing in here actually about how all the all the words associated with walking, like pedestrian. If something is pedestrian, it's by nature boring. And and in a sense, you're trying. I'm trying to sex it up again. Possibly not not doing so, but trying. <laughs> uh, that walking is for all of us. But no, you're right. That that we do tend to play it down in America. But that's the, you know, the app, that's yeah. Everything. And I love America, but that's what they do. Um, if there was one walk that you would recommend to the people who are sitting here who are thinking, I'm going to get a cab home. Um, what, 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 what would that walk well, be? Actually, Genuinely, is there a walk that people Walking in London just, is know? great. I mean, I walk a lot in London, and walking in London is great. And Tracy, I know, walks a lot in London. It's fantastic. And as soon as you look at a map and you realise that four miles really isn't very far, mm. and it won't take you very long to do it, um, then your world changes. Um, I would recommend <laughs> um, part of the Southwest Coastal Path in Devon, starting, just because I love the romantic nature of this, starting in a place called Inner Hope. So starting in um, Hope Cove and walking to Salcombe, which obviously then do that out of season because Salcombe in season is really busy. <laughs> but that is about seven miles and that is a really, really lovely walk. And if you were going to do a longer distance walk, um, don't do Hadrian's Wall because it's really brutal and really Hadrian's Wall is a disappointment. I hate to break that to you, but it is. Uh, I would do um, either St. Oswald's Way or St. Cuthbert's Way or one of those Northumberland ones, or, or I'd do the South Downs Way, which, which is great, but don't do the end bit into Winchester because that's not worth it. I think that we'll Unless you want to go shopping and then it's fine. We'll, fo <laughs> we'll focus on the inner hope aspect of that. <laughs> so on inner hope, thank you. Claire Balding, Chris Clee, and Ashley Watson.